Two middle-aged men in Cleveland, the traveling Theodore Klopp and the stationary Ken Dworznik wearing a sweatshirt because it's 58 degrees in June. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about nice, positive stuff in the Cleveland area. Ted, how the heck are you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm fabulous. I'm fabulous. I'm headed to Florida. So, yeah, life is good. Well, that is always a good thing. So a little r and I know you got a little work with that. So safe travels as always. Thank you. Thank so, you. I, I, Ted, I you know, know we have a big show. We have a we big do. guest. We do have a guest. Which we is do have a guest. We have two of them. That's unbelievable. We go from nothing to two. That's yes. great. And Dusty Sloan. But I wanted to take some time at the top of the show. I have another rant, if I can have oh boy. maybe Please. two minutes. The floor is yours. So I'll talk about out and about. This had to do a little bit with our out and about. Um, watched a movie on Saturday. We'll talk about that. But afterwards, I wanted to get a couple of quick items at a store. I'm not going to name the store. I'm just This is a, just a general thing. Went to the store to make some root beer floats for the kids. Got some, obviously, root beer, ice cream. And I think we bought a couple other items. And so understand there is a lack and shortage of employees at all these different places. I completely understand that. I experienced that with my work. Ted, you also experienced that as well. But at times it seems as though we just, the decisions that are made kind of really don't make sense when it comes to how stores are run or things like that. So we were ready to check out. This was at three o'clock on a Saturday. A lot of people there. It was it was pretty it was pretty crowded. I was in the Rocky River area. And after we were done, we're trying to pick a line. They didn't have any self-check. What I usually do is I'll usually go to the customer service area to check out quickly. No one was working there. And so I look down the different lanes, only one register was open. Mm. Where then, as I go down the line to stand in line, I was like the, I don't know, the seventh person there. And one lady was very nice. There's only a couple items. And this went on for 15 minutes. And finally, there was somebody in the service area that, that came in there. So we actually ended up checking out and walking out. I guess my question I have at the end of the day is it a safe situation to have that many people standing in line, winding around your store? Or is there somebody else that could work the register? I, I, I don't know. It was just extremely odd. I know many people have gone to a self-checkout type of thing, which obviously you don't need as many employees. You just have to oversee that and all that. But my gosh, on a safety and, and just... An organization thing. Wouldn't you think you just open another register or just have somebody work in customer service? I was, I was completely floored. It was a very odd experience there. Very odd. That, that sounds illogical, but yeah, I agree with you. Uh, what, what, what's wrong with uh, self checkout? Yeah, that's that to me. I know there's money involved with that, and and obviously you got to spend some dollars, which I completely understand, and not everybody can do that, but. My gosh, you know, I, and once again, I, I am, I understand I'm going to have to wait on certain things that I have no issues whatsoever, but there were employees there working and I'm not sure what they were doing. And the manager was there and there was three other people there. So I don't know if they had a shift change or what, but I myself just stood there and said, well, this is the way it's going to be. But I know other folks, not my party, but other parties were, they were not pleased. I'll leave not pleased. We saw some little bit of a, as I call it, a little bit of a derangement that was going mm, on. Okay. As you can imagine. So, well, 
I have a uh, this this is even more good news for our area. I don't know if you're familiar with the the uh, personal finance website Wallet Hub. I have heard of this. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, they put together a ranking, a report of the best and worst places to raise a family in 2023. Oh my. Okay. They looked at 182 of the largest U.S. cities. In the following areas, they looked at family fun, uh, health and safety, education and child care, affordability, and socioeconomics. Okay. Okay. Based on this study, Cleveland is the worst city in the country in which to raise a family. The worst. Worst. Oh my! One hundred and eighty-second. Wow! You need to get Jen Brasnovich on here. Get her. Oh, I on. think Jen would change their mind real quick here. <laughs> That's the, interesting. Uh, I, I I like to know more of the uh, information and and all that kind of stuff. That is, well, they, it's a bit surprising, specifically when you when you talk about cost of living. Our cost of living here compared to other cities is is pretty doggone good. I will say that. So, uh, they looked at. Uh, 45 metrics, which included everything from sports fan friendliness to cost of living. And some of the ones where Cleveland scored the worst were separation and divorce rate. Cleveland's last percentage of two parent families. Cleveland's next to last percentage of families living in poverty. Cleveland next to last. Cleveland ranked 177th in median family salary, 169th in unemployment rate, and 168th in violent crime rate per capita. Hmm. Yeah, this I'm sure we'll get uh, uh, Mayor Bibb on after we talk about this. The best <laughs> place to rate a, raise a family of the 182 cities rated, Fremont, California. Wow. Some other big cities in in Ohio, uh, Toledo ranked 161st, Akron 154th, Cincinnati number 100, and Columbus, the best of the big cities in Ohio, they ranked 66th. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yep. Well, a lot of those that they have, and the base that where they're doing that, I'm, am I surprised if it's based on those types of things? Probably not, but... I think many of us realize that there's other great reasons to be here in the Cleveland area and all that stuff. So I'm surprised. Well, obviously we are, there's always room for improvement, right? Ted? Always. We can always improve, always get better. Well, we're going to try to make this show better than that information, at least with the way we started here with that depressing story. We've got some other stories. Our overachievers have gone to the dogs. Our good news is going to get measured in pennies. And comedians Jason Chatfield and Scott Dooley are here. They have a new book out called You're Not a Real Parent Until. So, Ken, you and I are going to find out if we're real parents. And now, a woman's perspective. What do most men consider a gourmet restaurant? Any place without a drive-up window. This has been A Woman's Perspective. 
Miss Speak of the Week now, Ken. Yeah, want to take a guess as to who, who, who we're talking about? No, 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 you don't need to guess. President Biden was in North Carolina last week talking about workforce development. That was after thanking some people or, or at least trying to. I want to thank everyone at Rocky Mountain City Council. Nash County, uh, uh, edge, 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 excuse me. What? <laughs> you want to hear that again? I, I think I might. Uh, edge, 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 excuse me. I did not Double. edit that. That's what the man said. What was the Looney Tunes character? Porky Pig. That's yeah. a little bit of like that. Oh, yeah. the poor president. Oh, my. Now, he also made an appearance with Britain's prime minister, during which he talked about globalization. Look, the global south, there are going to be a billion people in Africa very shortly. One billion. One billion people in Africa, says <laughs> President Biden. You know what the problem with this is, Ken? Oh, I have a feeling that, that uh, number's wrong. Uh, well, Africa surpassed a one billion people for population in 2009. <laughs> 14 years go by quickly. Hey, you know. <laughs> so, Once again, uh, I, I have respect for the man. He's our president. These types of things could all be changed if his press people would just help him out. We all know this. It, it, they just make him look so foolish. It's unbelievable. Right, we have a great segment. Let's be honest. That's really all that matters. You know, I mean, it'd be nice if he were a little, I don't know, more well-spoken, but we wouldn't have a segment. So thank goodness, because that is the misspeak of the week. Ted, we're out and about Northeast Ohio, spending our hard-earned money at many restaurants, bars, shopping plazas, you name it. Uh, my highlights for out and about the past couple of weeks, uh, took in a movie uh, with the kids. We saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3. We're at the Westwood Town Center in Rocky River. Great theater. They do a really nice job there. Very clean, very easy to get in and get out. My only complaint, not with them, but overall, this movie was PG-13. I was excited to see it. I've seen the other Guardians of the Galaxy. Really kind of sketchy language. They're dropping the F-bomb and all that stuff. Oh. I, I was not I was not ready for that. So um, I guess word of the wise, you really got to dig deep in why a movie is PG-13. And I guess you can't use the F-word in PG-13 movies. So there you go. Found that out as well. I have a tip for you. Ready? Go to the site Common Sense Media. Okay. Common Sense Media. They'll give you a review from a parent's perspective, and they'll tell you. They don't say, "Oh, well, this movie's bad because." They just make you aware. Hey, here's some of the language. Here's some of the subject matter that you, as a parent, want to be aware if you're taking a kid. Common Sense. Oh, that's Media. really good. Great site. Great. Sense. That is great. Well, look at this. I'm glad I brought it up. Now I have there the you information. Go. I'll do that in the future because, yeah, it's uncomfortable when you're sitting next to uh, exactly. a child and you hear the F word like, oh, wonderful. OK, very cool. <laughs> so took in another Guardians game. My record watching the Guardians at Progressive Field is three and two. I mm. went to the contest where uh, Jose Ramirez hit three homers in one game. That was exciting. Oh. That was pretty cool. First, the Red Sox. Before that, we went to City Tap. Um, right downtown there, and then finished the night off with LBM, which maybe wasn't our best move, but that's okay. 
not because it was bad. It's just, you know, at, at some point in time, you have to stop. So we also took in golf. It's golf season. As you know, Ted took the kids out to North Olmsted Golf Club. I highly recommend that. I know you have a couple golfers in your family. Mm-hmm. Take them out there. It's a nine hole course. You can walk it. We finished playing all four of us in an hour and 35 minutes, which is really cool. A lot of short holes and it was a lot of fun. So hats off to North North Olmsted Golf Club. One of your favorite places. We met there many a times. We've seen some famous people there as well. Panini's in Westlake. Uh, I had the chance to meet up with your friend and mine, Phil Yale. Oh, once again, is still pumping along with Phil's tracks. He's had some great guests. So uh, hats off to Phil and. We just had a little Ashton University Alumni Association meeting to talk about the 2023 Alumni Association for Ashton University. It was fun, but hats off to Panini's. Their outdoor patio is outstanding. Very nice. Uh, Food was good. Uh, Service was great. So hats off to them. Also played golf at Bobo Link and Avon. And then also we finished the night, as we usually do, continued of being at Dover Gardens. Another fan favorite of yours, where we uh, certainly took in all the sights and sounds on a Sunday, fun day. Ted, that's what I got. I know you're traveling to Florida, so you're obviously yeah. not not in Northeast Ohio. But did you have any Northeast Ohio experiences in the past couple of weeks? I did. We saw the new Transformers movie. Oh, okay. Fabulous. Really? Fabulous movie. Fabulous. What is that rated, by the way? Is that PG? Uh, or- you know I what? I don't PG. know, but I can tell you there's no, I mean, they say a couple words that, <clears throat> you know, aren't the best, but no F-bombs, no, nothing inappropriate. Fair enough. Nothing inappropriate. I I had complete confidence uh, in uh, taking my kids to see it, and it's really a fast-paced action-oriented movie there's no there's not a lot of time for anything else in that movie it it moves and uh kids liked it uh if you judge i i i thought it was a good movie and i'll tell you that the kids were engaged enough that there were two different times towards the end of the movie where things happen in the movie and the kids applauded Oh, wow. That is good. That means they're, and, they're engaged. Yeah. That's great. I mean, how often do you get applause in a movie theater now? Yeah. So uh, that was good. Also took the kids. Um, there's a program that you may or may not be aware of. It's called Kids Bowl Free. Kids hmm. Bowl Free. It's in the summertime at participating um, bowling centers. You sign up at whatever center you would normally go to. And they have specific times throughout the week that kids bowl free. That's awesome. That is great. Yeah. And that's the website kids bowl free. So there's another little tip. Um, And so we took them and they had a great time. We also went to golf land at be a sweetie on park road. Yes. Had a great time golfing and had some some ice cream afterwards. Great time. Great time. That's a great place. They really yep. do a nice job there. I like that place a lot. It's great. My kids were confused because all of the uh, holes had purple uh, purple turf instead of green. Mm. They didn't want to call it, 
call them greens. They said that we should call them purples. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. There's uh so uh oh we saw we saw the Transformers at uh, Cinemark and Valley View, great theater. That is a great theater. Do a nice job. The other thing that I uh get frustrated by is you know, they used to have the if you bought the, the free uh, the big bucket of popcorn, you get a free refill. They discontinued that during COVID. I get that. Yeah. Yep. They haven't brought it back. Yeah, I, I could piggyback off your experience when we were at the, the theater as well. The size of the popcorn container is also smaller with yeah. no refill. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's where we're at now. I mean, I don't need it, but the kids do. So. Right, right. We buy one bowl and we distribute it between. That's what we do. We do the right. same thing. So, yeah, there you go. There's my out and about. I love it, Ted. Well, thanks for supporting Northeast Ohio businesses. And we appreciate you being out and about. And all you listening to this podcast, get out there and support your local businesses. Thanks for being out and about. Blah, blah, blah. 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 Our guests today are regular cartoon contributors to the New Yorker. They are also award-winning comedians known as Dooley and Chatfield. Jason Chatfield and Scott Dooley have a book coming out uh, very soon. It's called You're Not a Real Parent Until. And Ken, you and I both know how much we talk about parenting on this show. So this was a no-brainer to have these guys on because I want to know if I'm a real parent. So Jason and Scott, uh, thanks for your time. (laughs) Welcome. What do I need to do to be a real parent? Well, we've got this envelope from Maury Povich, and we're going to open it at the end of the interview. You are the real parent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my wow. gosh. I think cool. I'm nervous now. <laughs> we're off to a cracking start. <laughs> it's now funny. You... Go we, ahead. We, we just started putting together the, these kind of observations that we we're getting through our friends that are ha- that have kids. So my wife and I are like planning a family at the moment. So I've been really in the planning mode and really doing a lot of research and asking incredibly personal questions of my friends. And all these themes started coming up of all these things that every parent can kind of relate to. So it became this kind of right place for our comedy. Sure. That's outstanding. That is really good. So One thing is obviously both Ted and I did a little bit of research before we talked to you guys. You talk about the four stages of a child's life, and that's illustrated in your new book. Jason, can you talk about that to an extent? What are what are the four stages? Yeah, well, the 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 book kind of really insists on not just covering one stage of parenting, like you know, babies, and and kind of really leans into the fact that you're a parent for life. You never really stop parenting even once they leave home you you know you're still calling them to check they're okay um there's uh, the book begins with getting home from the hospital with the baby first night uh and it goes all the way through to toddlers tweens teens graduates and the all grown up and beyond so we very deliberately made these characters and from all sorts of different backgrounds and wanted to make sure that the readers Whilst they're sort of standalone jokes in the book, there is a thread and a, and a kind of narrative uh, time arc throughout the book so that you can see these kids grow into teens and then grow into adults 
and kind of be able to recognize them from earlier in the book. Um, yeah. And, and I think that sort of helps sell a lot of the jokes as well. So what are some of these observations? Give me some examples. I, uh, there's been a few, um, one of them is, and this is actually based on something that happened to Jason's, uh, was it your niece or nephew? My nephew. Yeah. Yeah. And the joke is, uh, you know, for certain your child doesn't have a future in hairdressing and it was after <laughs> Well, it, it, the, yeah, and, the, and the, the image Jason's done is, you know, the cat's got hair cut and all the, you know, dolls have them. But didn't your kid shave, didn't your nephew shave his head or something? Yes, my nephew Zachary found his dad's beard trimmer uh, when they were on vacation. And um, unfortunately for uh, my brother-in-law, young nephew found the on button. Um and decided to shave his head, <laughs> but not evenly, just one big streak down the middle. So he looked like a clown. He, um, yeah, he looks he looks like a four year old that couldn't quite commit to the Krishna lifestyle. Like was interested. <laughs> yeah, halfway through he reached enlightenment. And went, I'm good. I'm good. Um, there was a point where, and my sister in law would probably, you know, I did have to ask her, do you mind me sharing this story? She's like, I'm not thrilled about it, but. <laughs> But if it's in the book, it's in the book. So we, yeah, we, that particular one, you're not a real parent until you know for a fact that your child does not have a future in hairdressing. That might have been one of the first ones we wrote, I think, because visually it's such a funny image of the cat and the dog and the doll and the rest of the house having having had chunks of hair shaved off it, the rug, you know, and the mother just looking on in. In, in disbelief and the kid looking quite proud of herself. Oh, absolutely. I, I think Ted and I have had very similar stories to that with our, I have two kids and Ted has three, and I'm sorry, has, has four. And it's, wow. uh, it's pretty wild. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild stuff. Well, Ken, Ken, it could actually be three when we open the envelope later. So let's. There's going to be a so running funny. theme throughout today. Absolutely. So here's the funny part. So you guys have put this book together, which I, I'll be honest with you, I can't wait to jump into this. And you've done it in with through cartoon moments. So I guess I have to take a step back. You guys are cartoonists. You've been in the New Yorker. Can you talk a little bit about how that whole process works? I mean, many of us have seen the New Yorker. We see the cartoons. How difficult of a process is it to get something published in there. How does that process work? Well, it's it's been an interesting uh, time to be a New Yorker cartoonist um, with the sort of development of digital because it used to just be that it appeared in the magazine. So you used to go into the magazine every Tuesday, you'd sit with the cartoon editor, you'd show them a batch of 10 cartoons and they would say, no, 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 maybe. And then every week we would wait on tenterhooks until 5 p.m. on Friday to get an okay or radio silence. Um, and honestly, I think we pitched 388 cartoons in 2018 and we sold 11. And that's oh pretty good gosh. odds for a New Yorker wow. cartoon. So it's a very sort of throwing a lot of stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. It's timing. It's, you know, sometimes a joke is great, but it's just not great right now. Or they've already got one just like it, ready to go. Um, Scott and I have been collaborating on New Yorker cartoons for years now, um, where one of us will have an idea and then we'll text the other one and say, Hey, is there something in this? And then inevitably we'll jump on the 
phone or go down the pub and have a beer and talk, you know, is work through the idea, see what it looks like, see what it sounds like, change the wording, the placement of the words. Um, it's a very, you can get very wonky about it. You can get very nerdy about joke writing, which we both are. We're very sort of um, obsessive about the esoteria of joke writing and comedy. Uh, but yeah, the New Yorker is now, you know, it's digital as well. So we write jokes for the daily cartoons on the website. We do, you know, and, and their social media. We do daily shouts, which are the online long form um, sort of cartoons that they do, which are more sort of narrative. Um, yeah, so it's it's more than it's more than it used to be, which was just one single panel cartoon, and that was a really good format for this book because cartoons have that one-two punch of being able to deliver a joke in the line and then get a big laugh when you look at the image and then look back at the line. It's a real nice one-two sort of punch with the gag delivery. It's kind of like baseball statistics. You're like RBI. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sure. and we're kind of if you're in that kind of Mike Trout area, you're doing pretty well. Fair enough. I guess second part, Ted, real quick. So when you guys submit and you're told, okay, no good, do you are you given feedback at all or is it just an all or nothing thing? So for the last 60-odd years, we've had immediate in-person feedback from the editor. And that's some of the most useful feedback you can get because knowing why a joke is rejected is just as important as knowing why it it was accepted. I mean, you really, um, we don't really get a why when it's a yes. We usually get a why if we ask after a no. And sometimes it's literally a case of changing one word. If I go, oh, did this one not work? And the editor will say, well, yeah, if you change this here and you make this a man instead of a woman or make this a goat instead of a dog or whatever it is. (laughs) Um, A a classic example uh, of good feedback is um, a joke that we had pitched. And this was my, I was going to die on this hill. I had a joke that was a cartoon that I pitched. Scott and I had discussed this at length on our podcast. Um, the podcast, by the way, is called Is There Something in This? <laughs> the premise of every, the start of every joke that we had. And it was a guy walking up to a hot dog stand with a credit card saying, keep it open. So like he was opening a tab at the hot dog stand. <laughs> so yeah, all right, Ted liked it. Ken likes it. I thought it was pretty funny. It is funny. Um, so I pitched it and then it, she said yes. The editor said yes. But then the editor-in-chief saw it and said, ah, come on, that's a fat joke. And I was like, they were like, all right. So it was a no in the end. But I was so married to the idea that I wanted to get this joke across the line that I resubmitted it so many times with different scenarios. One time it was... Um, uh, just uh, it was a woman uh, at night after a big night out with a broken strap in her heel and a handbag, and she was clearly, you know, after going out night clubbing, saying "keep it open." Um, that one, he said, uh, it got through to the editor, and he said, uh, "No, it looks so much like a prostitute," which my wife was thrilled with because uh, <laughs> I had her pose for the for that one. Um, <laughs> and then finally. Um, I had a cartoonist friend of mine, Joe Data, who's maybe one of the best and most prolific cartoonists at the New York now. He said, just change it so that it's an elephant at a peanut stand. And the elephant is handing the credit card through his trunk saying, keep it open. And so I did, and I resubmitted it. And the feedback from the cartoon editor was great. Now there's no confusion about it being a fat joke or anti-feminine or whatever it is. And so it got through to the, finally got through to the editor-in-chief. And he went, oh, we've, we've seen this joke before. So, so was a no, but good news is I sold it to Airmail, which is an online 
uh, newsletter website similar to the New Yorker. And it did find a home at airmail. So thank God I finally could rest after that. (laughs) Now, I understand that, uh, I understand that, let's see, Jason, you're a stand-up comedian. Am I right on that? We both Uh, are, yes. You both are. Okay. Yeah. How different is it to write jokes for stand-up as opposed to writing jokes for uh, a comic strip or for print, or is it different? I I think there's a real similar. I, maybe it's just the way we approach it because we've both got a pretty similar um, kind of philosophy. I think. Sorry, that sounds so hoity-toity. We <laughs> we've both got the same attitude to what's funny, and um, and and so kind of word placement's really important, and kind of what you finish on and what you start with, and how like the premise, and I, I find it. I find it philosophically very similar, but there's, but Jason has taught me through cartooning because I'm just a comic, you know, and uh, not uh, from a cartooning background. There, there is a real science to it. You want the eye to kind of start at the picture, go to the caption, and then have to go back to the picture in order to get the whole story. So for me, it's there's a lot of similarities, but the specific the specificities of the science is different. What do you so, Jason? You're kind of what? What do you do? You yeah, I mean, I I get the question a lot because I've been doing a daily comic strip for the last sixteen years, and that is as far from doing stand up as comedy writing gets. Because you've got maybe like eight seconds, and it's in a newspaper, and it's so different than doing gag cartoons for the New Yorker, which is a totally different skill. And then stand up, you get to control things like timing, inflections. You get to change your physical delivery you can articulate uh, differently you can um, gesticulate you can show instead of tell which cartooning does have in common with stand-up um but there really is and we could i mean i'll stop talking after this because we could talk about this for hours this is all we talk about um really it's the difference between this is the, the biggest difference i know between how cartooning works with comedy and stand-up works with comedy. This is one of the biggest things is, and this is a name drop, so get ready. Uh, Jim Davis, who does Garfield. Oh, was... my God. Are you kidding? <laughs> you think you Oh, don't this? do this. Oh, <laughs> no. I know a famous person. Watch, he does this all the time. All the time. <laughs> my one famous friend. So Jim Davis, who does Garfield, oh, is trying to tell me. Oh, wow. Do you know him? <laughs> so the guy who does, um, uh, what's it called? Funny Acres? <laughs> the guy who does Garfield minus Garfield. Uh, he was trying to tell me that he always wanted to be a stand-up comedian. That's what he wanted to do. And he went to Ball State in Indiana. And he's, uh, he had a say, uh, I guess it was his in the same dorm as him. Um, this other guy who wanted to be a stand-up and they would, you know, sort of trade ideas and jokes and, and then Jim would write this material and he'd go up and he'd just bomb. It wouldn't work. And he, on paper, he thought, this is hilarious. But then he'd deliver it and it was like, I don't understand why it's not working. Then his dorm mate took the same material, said, do you mind if I give it a go? And then got up in front of the whole, you know, the college and delivered the same material and got just rapturous applause, like huge laughs, massive laughs. And Jim was just scratching his head at how the hell is he doing that? 
And it didn't help that the, get ready, Scott, it didn't help that the dorm mate was David Letterman. <laughs> So, wow. Yeah, oh, so they both both went to Ball State at the same time, and both were yeah. trying to be comedians. Jim gave up on stand up and started writing a comic strip instead. Um, so yeah, he just what, couldn't what figure out the mechanics the of fella? delivery. What happened to that? Yeah, guy, I don't know what he went on. I think he started yeah. a, a startup, Amazon. Or something. I don't know what he did. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. I this guess is there crazy. is a, also a big difference is. Um, there is no chance that someone will sleep with you after a good cartoon. Whereas in stand-up, <laughs> that's an option. Not that it's ever happened for us, but I'm here. That can happen sometimes. <clears throat> oh my gosh, that is classic. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, the boat with these jokes all these years. Now I, uh, yeah, it's trying to figure it out. <laughs> Gentlemen, as we kind of wrap up here, this has been very pleasurable. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you both. Very, very interesting conversation. And you guys are just absolutely hilarious. So you have this series. You're not a real. You did this with parroting. What's your next step? Do you guys have anything in the very distant future or anything like that that's that's coming out with the same series? Yeah, we do. We've got more books. So uh, we've got You're Not a Real Golfer until coming up. Oh, I need that. I need um, we've got, we've got um, you're, you're Not a Real Dog Owner uh, and uh, You're Not a Real New Yorker. Uh, and then we've got a list of about 150, honestly. So, um, yeah, if you've got any ideas, we've had it first. I'm just saying that so no one loses. Well... You know, not to open a can of worms, and we're not going to get political here, but, you know, with the climate the way it is now, you could go with uh, you're not a real guy or you're not a real girl or, you know, I, that's, uh, I don't know. We'll let somebody else tackle that one. We actually want to sell some books, though, Ted. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so speaking of selling books, where can folks find you're not a real parent? Where Where, best- where can they buy that? The best place to find it, and I'm glad you asked, is uh, you're not a real.com. So, it's one, one sentence you're not a real.com. Uh, you can order the book there, you can find out a bit more about the idea and meet the gang, uh, meet me and Scott, see some process videos of us drawing the book, and and um, sort of join the uh, join the community. And um, as we put more of these books out, we'll keep adding them to the website if people want to. By golfer and dog owner and cat owner and New Yorker and as the list goes on. And um, and just before we go, I'm just going to open this envelope. <laughs> Ted, you are yes. the father. <laughs> you are the father. <laughs> Thank you. You don't know me. You don't know me. <laughs> I can rest easy now. Wow, that was I'm. Oh, I, I, there's some bad news. You owe $850,000 in back child support. So, Ethan, silver <laughs> linings, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> you know, they can just get in line. That's what I say. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Uh, good luck with the book. And uh, we'll we'll uh, maybe have you back on again when uh, some others come out. And we can, can talk to you about his golf game. Well, I would love that. <laughs> Ted overachiever time. And this overachievement goes out to a Cocker Spaniel who set a Guinness World Record by using his mouth to deposit 23 coins into a piggy bank. And he did it in one minute. Mm. 
Leo is four years old and spent two years training with his owner to learn the talent. The previous record was 18 coins in a minute. Oh, he blew it away. Got those extra five. Boom. Right in there. Wait a minute. There was a previous record for this. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Leo wanted it. Took it down. Didn't even have it. It wasn't even close. Well, another dog has another world record. Zoe is a three-year-old Labrador German Shepherd mix and is now the living dog with the longest tongue. Oh, wow. Zoe's tongue is five inches long. That, for comparison, is longer than a 12-ounce can of pop. No. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. German Shepherd mix. Nice. Some You might say some women might have a little trouble judging how long that is, but a five ounce can, a twelve ounce can of pop would help. Yeah, with how long it's five the inches. it's the Gene Simmons of of dog tongues is what he's got. That's awesome. Good for him. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Ken. Here we go. England's Royal National Lifeboat Institution's Appledore Station was doing training exercises when they received word of three men drifting out to sea. A guy in a kayak towed the men close enough to shore for them to hop into the water and back to the beach. The RNLI guys later retrieved the uh, boat, or more accurately, the inflatable duck that they were in, <laughs> which wound up about 650 feet off of the shore before being pulled in. Three men on an inflatable duck. Inflatable duck. Oh, my. Well, they're lucky to be alive. God bless them. A woman in Britain is spending about a quarter of a million dollars to turn everything in her home pink or shades of pastel. The 35-year-old is married with a daughter and has been working on the pink project since 2019. She's now investing in pink appliances and pink tile and more. She says the, that she wants the home to feel like a pastel colored hug. I like this. I think when the whole project is done, she should invite pink, the singer to, there to play you go. the house is to kick things off. That's what I'm thinking. The, now, if uh, if your wife, I know she's not a, I, she doesn't strike me as a pink kind of person, but if she hypothetically said, I want everything in our house to be pink, you have a response, a thought? I'd have to ponder that one. Ponder that one, yeah. Because okay. in all honesty, you and I are kind of in the same boat. Sometimes we're just kind of told and not asked. That's, right? well, oh, yes. Yes. So, I think it would be more of a situation where I would be told, I think we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And put in yep. a way, like, I have a choice, but at the end of the day, probably not. So, right. Luckily, I don't think that would happen, but if it did, we'd be pretty in pink. Let's be there, <laughs> there you go. Well, there is apparently a new trend with weddings. Don't know if you've heard about this, but people on Reddit are talking about it. Newlyweds are putting just married on their car and it's you know a sign and then they're having they, they've started putting their venmo username on the car as well <laughs> hoping people will see it and give them cash to help them celebrate 
opinions on the idea, as you might imagine, are, well, divided. I would definitely say that. That is, I don't know. I, I don't not, see myself donating to a stranger's wedding. That or even me having the gall to put a Venmo sign right. up there to try to take in money. That's, I don't right. know. Yeah. That's that's a little, that's too much, as I've been told. If I, too much. if I see just married, I'll give you a honk, and that's about it. Absolutely. Yep. That works. In sports, Bernie, the Miami Heat mascot, is recovering. Don't know if you heard about this, Ken. During uh, Game 4 of the NBA Finals, former UFC champ Conor McGregor was on hand to promote a pain relief spray. During a timeout, McGregor went on the court, and then out came Bernie dressed in a boxing robe with oversized boxing gloves. McGregor punched the mascot in the head with a left hook, <clears throat> knocked him down. McGregor then followed up with another punch to the head while the mascot was down. McGregor then tried to spray the mascot with the pain reliever while he was being dragged off the court. The uh, the man behind Bernie had to be taken to the hospital, and he's now uh, he, he's he's resting at home. It seems like this just went a little too far. I understand what they're trying to do. Kind of a cool skit. I saw it, but I think uh, Conor McGregor, who I think may suffer from a little CTE, let's be honest, he uh, <laughs> he went over the top too much. And if you look at the punches, you can understand why the guy had to go to the hospital. Both of those punches were pretty good, and I think the one that really got him is when he was on the ground and he punched him right in the head. That was absolutely not absolutely. good. Not good. By so the way, hopefully, uh, hopefully that mascot's okay. The name of the hot Miami Heat mascot, Bernie, great name. That is Super a great name. Perfect I, name. I think that's well done. I'm Ted Klopp. That's news to me. Cleveland! This is for you! Time for more Cleveland sports talk. And that means, of course, we are going to talk to Dusty Sloan. Dusty, a very interesting one to talk about today. Brings back up a lot of memories for us with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we talk about June 14th, 2007. It was, of course, the NBA Finals. San Antonio Spurs edged the Cleveland Cavaliers 83-82 to for a 4 to nothing series sweep. The MVP of that wonderful finals was Tony Parker. But what fine thoughts come to your mind when you think about the 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers finals against San Antonio? Well, unfortunately not good ones. Cause unfortunately got the, got swept by San Antonio. We talk about Tony Parker. What a series he had was 24 and a half rebound or points a game, five rebounds, three assists. A lot of people, when you think in NBA history, Tony Parker is going to end up being probably one of the, more underrated point guards in NBA history, but he certainly had a whale of a series against the Cavs that year. But luckily the Cavs were able to, that this was that time, obviously when you had LeBron and, and, and Daniel Gibson and Sasha Pavlovich and Z was getting up there, but was still contributing Verizal, that kind of thing. But you obviously knew that you needed some other pieces. And I think that this NBA finals kind of showed them which pieces they needed particularly at point guard after what Tony Parker did. Oh, there's no doubt. And the thing is what 
part was exciting for the Cavaliers had not been to the finals. Obviously, I, I mean, let's be honest, ever. So uh, that's first and foremost. But second of all, the, the thing to talk about, too, is that that was really a surprise for that team to be there in that spot. The Detroit Pistons were very good and the Cavaliers knocked them off. And I, I think everybody kind of felt as though we're playing with house money going into that series. Absolutely. And when you look at the final scores of that NBA final, it wasn't like it was necessarily dominance from San Antonio. The first game was decided by nine. The second game was 11. The third game by three and the fourth game by one. So it wasn't like it was a blowout in any of those games. just that the San Antonio Spurs at that point in time were that much better. And when you talk about having Tony Parker, well, let's not forget about Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Bruce Bowen. You go down the line, even Robert Ory at his advanced age, he knew how to play an NBA Finals. So, yeah, it, it was it was a sweep, but it wasn't a, like anything horrendous. And like you said, this was the first time the Cavs had ever been in this type of situation. And they did do a great job. I mean, they swept the Wizards, beat the Nets, beat the Pistons. So it wasn't like they got there by accident. I'm curious what you guys think. You, we talked about the Cavs being this being their first time in the finals. I don't necessarily put a lot of stock in this whole, oh, well, playoff experience and, and you know, finals experience. To me, the game is the game, and if you're better than the other team, then you're better than the other team. I'm curious what you guys think of, of this whole, uh, you know, finals experience and playoff experience. Well, all you got to do is look at this year's finals and what the Nuggets are doing. I mean, the, the Nuggets never won an NBA championship, never won an ABA championship, and but they get there and was and obviously with a guy like Jokic, that definitely helps when you have a MVP type player on your team. But it obviously hasn't hurt them at all. No, that's I think that's well said. I think experience just in the playoffs in general is important. Just look at the Cavaliers team this year. I mean, they lost to the Knicks which was, you know, obviously a little bit disappointing, but a lot of those guys that played in the in the series for the Cavs against the Knicks, they have not played in the playoffs, and I think that's a big part. The one thing, though, that many people don't think about when it comes to NBA games and the series and all that, during the NBA season, you play 82 games. Now you kind of have some back-to-back -back nights where you play the same team, but most of the games, every night you're playing a different team. When you play these series in the playoffs, that's the part you have to have experience with with all of a sudden you're playing the same team as much as seven times in one series. And that could be, you know, three different series and all that stuff. So the matchups and all that are super important. And that's where your coaching comes in. But yeah, I, Ted, I would tend to agree with you. I, I think playoff experience is important, but having, ex, you know, a ton of playoff experience in the finals and things like that, I don't think that di dictates everything. So Dusty, any other uh, wonderful comments you have about this contest or, or anything else that, that kind of is a highlight for you when you we talk about this series? Well, I mean, despite the fact that it was a sweep and the Cavs didn't win, it, it was one of those things where you started to get excited about the possibility of being able to win an NBA championship. And obviously that happened later, but I mean, you hadn't seen anything like this, anything close to this since the Dory Price Nance years. And it kind of harkened you back to that era. And it was, that's what made it a lot of fun, I think, for a lot of people, despite the outcome. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, Dusty, thanks for taking us back to 
June 14th, 2007, when the Cavs were in the finals, losing the San Antonio in four games, and Tony Parker was the overall MVP. Dusty, we appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Cleveland! This is for you! Good news, Ken, for a California family cleaning out a family home. John Rise and his family say his father-in-law kept everything. Apparently, that includes more than a million copper pennies. Wow. That's obviously worth at least 10 grand. The pennies were discovered in a crawl space in the home. Why don't we find this stuff? Why doesn't this happen to us? All I find is nothing like copper pennies. I'll leave it at that. Well, we have some more good news, Ted. A South Carolina man bought a $10 scratch-off lottery ticket and hit it for $375,000. Wow. Now, how about this? It was the first time the man ever bought a lottery ticket, and he says he hasn't bought another one. Well, that's not surprising. Why would you? First time. Hey, let's try this out. You win $375,000. And I heard that after uh, taxes, he kept $3.75. Oh, gosh. Ted, we're just full of good news. Oh, no, not a dad joke. What did the ship do when it got sick? I don't know what. It went to dock. That joke was horrible. Ken, we're coming to the end of episode 115. Is it 115? It is. Yeah, 115. Golly. Oh, my God. No, 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 16. We're at 16. Oh, is it 16? 16? Okay, if you say so. I yeah, can't keep 16. them straight anymore. We, we've done too many shows. Yeah, we didn't All do our famous thing, proud. by the way. Can you name Can you name a famous 16s jerseys yeah. when it comes to Cleveland Paul sports? Paul McDonald. He also had a farm. Anybody else? <laughs> um uh Eddie Taubensy. That's a great one. Man, that's impressive. Yeah. And that's I don't impressive. know, I don't have one for the Cavs. Well, there's three of them, and you wouldn't name any of them. Johnny Davis doesn't ring a bell. No. Nope. Gary Alexander doesn't ring a bell. No. Nope. Chetty Osman. I Curry. thought there was one on the team right now, but I didn't know the name. You better get the jersey now. I'm not sure you're gonna be able to get it next year. Okay. <laughs> He's 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 as they say day to day. We're day to day. Yep. Yeah. Hey, I had an interesting experience. We were getting ready to go to church on Sunday, and uh, as you might imagine, in our family, you know, our kid, you, you you hand out the clothes to the kids. Yes. And it, just as a reminder, these kids are nine, ten, and twelve. Yep. Okay. Oldest just had a birthday. Happy birthday to him. He did had a great time. Um, they don't listen. I know this is not unique to our family, but anyhow, <coughs> so we end up the clothes. We're running late, trying to get them going. They get their clothes and we're trying to get them outside. The youngest, I see him appear. He thinks he's ready to go. He's got his shirt on backwards. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we go outside and I hear my wife say to the oldest, Nice job. Thanks for putting on your shorts, but they're inside out. <laughs> go fix that. And then the middle kid had to go in and get a stuffed animal because he always has to take stuffed animal with him. Okay. Wow. I think we need 
some additional clothing instruction at our house. <laughs> just in a rush. I think we just got to take our time. I think that's where Maybe we're that's at. We're just it. rushed. We're just you rushed. should have seen the look on my wife's face. I can imagine. Well, well as you know, I'm, both you and I certainly are, are of the same faith. And as we say, I don't think Jesus minds what we have on. It's just it's a matter of being there. So it's uh, I don't think Jesus minds, but uh, apparently my wife did. She does. Well, it's, you know, it, it looks bad on you when your child has their shirt on backwards and pants inside out. I mean, let's be honest. That's who that's who gets blamed, not the kid. So I was just hoping that the third kid would have two different shoes or two different socks. That would be outstanding, which know. I, in all honesty, I've done that before myself. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's that's a, that's very common. Two different shoes. You look down and you're at the kneeler and I'm like, you know what? I'm wearing two different shoes today. That's great. Yep. Lovely. Well, Ted, thanks to Dusty Sloan. Thanks to our guests. Well, I, how did we find these two? They were outstanding, by the way. Very good the, guests. Je, the, these guys, uh, Jason and Scott, uh, they, they, we're subscribed to a couple of uh, services that... Uh, People who want to be on podcasts, put their information out there. And, you know, so many of them are uh, uh, not not ones that we're interested in. You know, they're all self-help and stuff yeah. like that. And that's just that's that's not our show. That's great for them. They could be on another show. But when you write a book called You're Not a Real Parent Until, that's the guest we want. That's that who was... needs to be on this show. That was perfect. Those guys were great. I'll be honest, that interview could have went on for days, to be honest with you. They were very easy to talk to. That was wonderful. So thanks for finding them. They were a blast. Hats off to Dusty Sloan, as always. The man, the myth, the legend. Always solid, bringing us always the sports information we're looking for. Ted, obviously you're doing your Florida trip. Uh, when do you get back? Saturday. Okay. Well, safe travels. Drive Thank slow. You. Two hands. Thank you. What is it? Ten and two? Is that what it's supposed two, to be? Or it might be nine and three now. I don't know. It could be. Yeah. Well, safe travels, and uh, we look forward to talking with you soon. To our guests, and then of of course our listeners. Thanks for listening, and please don't forget we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV, custom audiovisual packages for all occasions. Uh, excuse me.